Welcome to Loose Change, our regular look at what's happening in the world of fintech and the people make it all happen. Um, I'm really pleased today to be uh, joined by Michael Free. Uh, hello there, Michael. Hello there, Mark. How are you now, doing? Michael, I'm doing really well. It's good to catch up with you. It's been a little while until the other week when we caught up again that uh, we've been working together, but I guess I've known you for some time. And to me, you're the, the guru of everything digital and, and particularly where that digital is related to finance and, and the whole concept of engaging people digitally as well. Um, <laughs> well yeah, certainly engagement is one of my um, passions and applying that to financial services. That's a, that's a very flattering summary of me, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe, maybe you can start off by giving our listeners a little bit of your history and, and, and where, where I first met you was at Sam Media, I guess. But maybe you could tell people about what you did at Sam Media and how you've moved on and what you're doing now. Yeah, sure. So um, I, even, I can go even further back than that, to be honest. So in the 90s, I, I, was, I was an advisor for Black Horse Financial Services. Um, Lloyd's Bank, and um, and my boss there was 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 someone by the name of Hugo Thorman. No, Hugo <laughs> Welter, yes, <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> and uh, and that was an interesting period of my life because it really informed, I guess, a lot of the thinking that I applied to the tech we've been developing over the last um, twenty years, really. So I formed I, I formed Samedia um, way back in two thousand. And uh, we did some innovation right at the beginning and built the, the UK's first database-driven um, advisor website service that was called AdvisorNet. That's way back when. And yep, then, yeah, oh, wow, we do go back sometime then, Mark, <laughs> don't we? Yeah. <laughs> and then we went on and um, I got excited by the idea of account aggregation. This is way before anybody was doing it. And so we built uh, the concept of Money Info. Well, not the concept, we built the product. And, and that's uh, a bank account aggregation. So we're not just talking about investment accounts here. We're talking about going in and getting data from bank accounts. Is that correct? Ex exactly. It was, it was everything. It was, it was the, the simple view was um, delivering simplicity and convenience to people. You know, uh, people want their lives simpler. This is why smartphones are being uh, such a huge thing because you've got you've got so much information just readily available in in, in one device, and so I guess we're time short, aren't we? As as a generation, we're short of time. So everything that makes our lives simpler, anything that makes our lives simpler. So my idea was very simple. Let's bring it back. Let's bring our our day to day money, our bank accounts, our credit cards, alongside our investments. Um, and our portfolio, so we had in a single screen a view of everything. Yep. And, and that was the idea. And then uh, brought some investors in um, to the business. And we started developing that from about 2010. Um, I left the business in the end in 2014. I had a different, I guess, view of where I wanted to take the product from where the management team wanted to take it. So left in 2014, but that was after meeting my colleague who I work with now called Neil Bage. And Neil met me because he really liked how, um, I guess I'd visualized the reporting of money info. Um, 
how we, how much effort we'd put in to making the data visualization um, really accessible to people. And yeah, the user experience of it was always great, wasn't it? It really brought things alive. It goes back to that word we used it on engagement. It was it was just an engage. It was almost a pleasure to use. That's the sort of concept behind it, wasn't it? Yeah, that's right. It's, again, it's trying to make complex information simple to um, understand immediately. Yep. You know, I don't want tables of text to read. I just want to understand something. And pictures are much, much easier to to understand. So so um, we use data visualization a lot in Money Info. And I, I met this guy called Neil. And he used to be head of strategy at Scandia. And, um, and, and Neil talked about this study he'd been doing privately uh, around questioning the way uh, the industry was profiling risk. And, and he made a very simple observation one, but it was a very profound one. He said, look, if you take um, a psychometric risk profile test, these, these originated from the 90s, from face-to-face. -face. They would augment a face-to-face -face discussion, normally yep. paper-based. Um, then they went onto laptops, but it would, it would still be part of a conversation with an advisor. And that's really important because... When an advisor is having a conversation with a client, there is a ton of information that that advisor is picking up that is totally unconscious. Yep. And it's what we do naturally. You meet somebody in a pub, you can just have a conversation with them and without them telling you any facts, you get an understanding of, of how bright they are, how engaged they are, how articulate they are. You start to get to know someone. We pick up you know, we've, we've evolved over millions of years from apes. And part of that is how we read another human being. And it's totally it's all those It's all those body language, all the this, this yeah. subtle signs, how people yeah. are sitting, the eye, eye contact, uh, yeah. just whether someone's smiling or not, I guess. But it gives you, it gives you ideas, with. people like confidence and stuff like that. This is all stuff that sure. doesn't go on a fact find, but it absolutely informs the conversation. Yeah. So... So, you know, a, a, a psychometric test that augments that understanding made complete sense. Yeah. You take that psychometric test and just put it online without that human understanding, and suddenly a big slice of the picture is missing. So this was just a concept that really interested me straight away. I thought, wow, there's something here. And then Neil starts talking about cognitive biases, and I was hooked. Yeah, it, it becomes once you start talking anything uh, of the brain, it's fascinating, isn't it? How, how you engage with individuals and, and how you tap into what's going on inside that head. It's um, a fascinating subject. Well, it is. And, 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 our, and I, think, I think the reason for that fascination is it's because it's about us. And you know what? When, when, when this industry talks, when our industry talks about engagement, I think, I think there's a very mistaken concept around what that means i think too readily people think it means pictures it means a pleasant okay. design yeah and, and actually you know a good design is just a tool so so making complex information simple is a tool but that in itself isn't the answer to engagement it's just a part of the puzzle so but the one thing the kind of constant for pretty much anyone is our own interest in ourselves. Yep. And, and so the, the whole reason we are interested in the mind is because we're caught, we're holding up a mirror to ourselves.
And, and, and that becomes a really solid basis for engagement. And it's part of what we're, we're about to introduce to the industry in the next uh, month or so. So, so engagement isn't just about pleasant designs. That's part of the solution. It's also about where is the client at and is this relevant? And, 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 and that really informs a lot of what we've been working on over the last five years. And I'm going to come back to, to, to some of the stuff you've been working on because we, we we talked a little bit uh, over the last week or so about some of the stuff that I've, I found really fascinating about how a whole of vice industry is uh, evolving. Uh, and, I, and I want to delve into that a little bit more. Um, but before I do, I also want to find a little bit more about how, you know, how you're sitting within that industry. So just to be clear that, you, you know, you've come out of Money Info, you, you've ex- you found this fascinating concept that you want to delve into and you've set up your own company so neil, neil yeah yeah to... neil and i neil and i set up um biq behavioral iq um in 2014 yep and uh, and for, for three years we just worked with academics we worked with two professors and a doctor of psychology and we asked them the question what are the what are the behaviors the unco- the cognitive biases or the behavioral biases that most influence our financial decision making and uh, and these academics went away and they did some studies for us and wrote a white paper. And the results of that and some research we then carried off the back of that um, started informing the direction of the business. So, so okay. from that, we, um, we developed our first application, which is our behavioral risk tool. And and this and that's an app, yes, that's an app that's available. It's, it's for not even to... it's not even an app, um, Mark. It's a, it's an API. Um, okay. So we we were we we didn't launch this until 2017. So we just we just worked with studies and research um, for for three years, and then we built this API. And the concept of the API was was very simple. You take you still do a a, a psychometric element because someone's uh, view of themselves is a very important um, indicator. But then you augment that with some measures of some abstracted behaviors, deliberately abstracted, because we want to see, if you like, you know, let's again, let's look at psychometrics. When, when, are the, when do they tend to be used? They tend to be used at the point of someone making an investment. And that's fine except for the fact that when people are making an investment, they tend to be in a pretty good space. I'm yep. putting money into investment. I'm thinking about the future. I'm going to grow some money. They're in a good frame of mind. Yeah, and they've probably f- got excess cash at that point as, they got as well. They've got excess cash at the moment. Everything's tickety-boo. What we want to capture is what happens when they're in a moment of panic. And does that moment of panic, which brings in um, the behavioral side, so what, what Daniel Kahneman called um, system one thinking, which is our intuitive way of thinking, yes. our gut feel. Yep. When that gut feel starts to play, does that change the persona? And it yep. can, is the answer. It can. So, so our behavioral risk tool simply took these three measures, um, two behavioral measures, augmented with um, a psychometric uh, test, and delivered what we call behavioral tool. And that was um, licensed by Santander. And they yep. use it today in their digital investment advisor. Um, but for us, that was that was the start of a journey. So we, we didn't see ourselves, we don't see ourselves 
as solely a risk profiling business. We see ourselves as a behavioral insights business. We want to come back to that point of that, that augmenting that natural human understanding of another human when we meet someone. Because we think there's huge value in that, in the future advice, especially with the um, commoditization of services in the advice space. And I want to come back to that whole future of advice in a minute, because I think there's some really interesting insights that you can bring to that. I am going to step back a little bit, though, because we, we do always, I'm afraid, put our, um, our our guests through a little bit of a test that we know a little bit about you and how you behave under pressure when we ask oh, you dear. some difficult questions. <laughs> oh, dear. So we're, go- we're going to ask you some questions uh, that are mm-hmm. uh, just about your life uh, and, and mm-hmm. how you face out to work, how you face out uh, to life, so, uh, just light lighthearted. Um, haven't briefed you so the, the listeners <laughs> This is generally he's on the on the I hook wasn't, here. I wasn't warned about this. <laughs> uh, no, but we, we, we'll be gentle with you. We'll be gentle. We'll start okay. off very seriously. Um, so, so from, a, from a personal perspective, do you have any hobbies or sports that you look at, take part in? Watch? Oh, you know, I don't have any sports. Much to my father's um, dismay, who's just sadly passed away last year. Um, he he was a mad sportsman, played for Wales and rugby and all this kind of stuff. <clears throat> and I just did not get that gene. So I was more the arty type. So I would play guitar and write songs. Um, and, 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 and nowadays, what do I enjoy doing? I go, I enjoy doing long, it sounds horribly middle aged this. I enjoy doing long country walks. We live in the countryside, beautiful part of Hampshire yep. and, and photography. So that's my, um, passion. So I sound terribly dull and nerdy. No, um, not at all, not at all. But you did mention one of my favourites, which is rugby. So uh-huh. I am going with the Six Nations starting this uh, this weekend. Um, can you tell uh, me who's going to win the Six Nations? Well, obviously Wales. Of course, I am in complete <laughs> agreement. You, you, you've gone to the top of the class already. <laughs> now, um, you mentioned photography. So I'm going to, yeah. my next question was going to be social media. Which is your favourite social media platform? Uh, where do you like, do you, and do you share your photos on them? You know what? I hardly use social media. As a digital expert, you must be into Instagram. A photography fan, loving engagement, no? No. I mean, I've got Instagram. <laughs> I've got Facebook. Um, Neil, my colleague, tweets, I don't. Um, it's just... <laughs> it's, a, it's a bug I understand, but it's a bug I've never caught. Maybe they um, failed on the engagement level with yourself. <laughs> Sorry. Well, I, I guess I get, I, I don't know. Uh, uh, Twitter almost feels kind of narcissistic to me. Uh, you know, I, I have my own views and thoughts of things, but I, I don't need to share those to the world. But in the conversation, I'm very happy to. Um, uh, you're but, a good man. I, I'm far, I'm far more um, <laughs> out there and trying to force my views on people. Well, you know what? Everybody tells you're me a better I man than be. me. Everybody tells me I should be. Um, <laughs> and then Neil's here. Neil hears some of my opinions and tell me maybe I'm less not. Anyway, but, uh, <laughs> no, no. I'm not a big um, social media user. Facebook, I go on, but that's largely just family these days. It's yeah, it's a good way of keeping in touch. Generation. So if we, if we head more for your design side then, um, yeah. I might know the answer to this one. If you had to choose between the best Apple device and the best Android device, where'd you go? <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> it's a non-question, is it, here? <laughs> Let me, well, this is actually comes right, of course, it's a non-question for me. This comes right back to the very reason I, I, I started any first business in the first place. Um, back in, oh, God knows when, 
early 90s, um, maybe even very late 80s, I just thought to myself, oh, I need to buy a computer. I need to get into understand this computing thing. I didn't know the first thing. I didn't know what a hard drive was. I didn't know what RAM was. I didn't know anything. I went to John Lewis and I said, oh, can you show me around? And at the time they had Windows, um, Windows 3, Windows 3. So this is before 95 came out. Yep. And so it would have been about 92, 93, something like that. And he showed me and I, and I'm doing menus, a D drive, C drive, F drive. And I think, uh, I was getting kind of overwhelmed by this stuff. And then he saw this kind of pizza box computer in the corner. And I said, what's that? And he said, oh, that's an Apple Maxer. And I said, oh, I've heard of those. Can you show me that? And then having gone and created a file in Windows 3 where we did all these menu stuff, and then we had to go uh, put it in a C colon, whatever it was, and then delete it. It was a menu thing. The guy just double-clicked on a picture of a CD, which he'd pushed in because it just appeared on the desktop, yeah. created a document, and then dragged it into a bin. And yeah. that was a eureka moment. And we take me. that for granted now, don't we? we but that was a eureka moment. We take that. that for granted. But what struck me is, you know, Windows 3 was kind of a computer written by nerds, evidently. Yep. And these other guys were clearly also nerds, but they went a step further. They said, well, we recognize we're nerds. How do we make this meaningful to the guy who's not a nerd? So it's that extra effort of making something easy that uh, it is. blew my mind. It is, but I, and, and, I, and I'm kind of with you, um, but I have to say, I have had a Mac at home for probably seven years, and I still don't have a clue how to use it, whereas I can use a window computer. So I think I think almost it comes to how you're conditioned to thinking as well. Um, and I think Mac users think in quite original ways, which isn't the right for everybody. Um, so I do think that nowadays I, I buy, I always tell people Mac, are the, uh, you know, Apple are there to make things very easy. It's, you know, they, they've they've simplified things, but at the same time, I find them sometimes much more confusing than some of the other options out there as well. So, it, it, there is a little bit of what you're used to, isn't there? Uh, yeah, and I think it's I think I think it's exactly that. It's which one you've been brought up with. I think if you start with Windows and then try and use a Mac, it's horribly confusing. Yep. Um, uh, I don't know what tests have been done on someone who's starting from a neutral place like I did. Um, but yeah, anyway, yes, but that inspired me that, uh, yep. that attention to making something simple, absolutely informed everything I've done since. So that leads me to my final question for you on the quick fire, which is given what you know about, um, the, the web out there and the websites out there, what is the most engaging website that you've ever come across? Oh my God. I know that's quite a wide range that you could go to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, well, and I use the word engaging deliberately rather than what's the best. So I'm not talking about the most functionally rich or the, um, uh, what, what actually would oh, do you enjoy God. using? Actually, do you actually want to get to go and use because it, 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 has, it has that pull factor to you? Well, Again, it comes down to utility, really. Some things can be a joy to use because they're just visually stimulating, they're visually pleasant. Um, but the best websites are just um, navigationally transparent. Yep. So they allow me to get to what I want to know very quickly. And 
And, you know, I, I tend to spend my life these days on the same kind of websites uh, and then just doing research um, and research, uh, the kind of research that uh, uh, that we do tends to lead us to sites that aren't terribly well designed. But um, so that's a really difficult question for me to answer off the top of my head, Mark. So I'm probably going to have to park that one and come back okay. to you another day. I'll let, I'll let you I'll, I'll let you off. If you have a thought by the end, you, you, you let <laughs> okay, me know. I'll do that. <laughs> Okay. It's probably time now to go back to some of the stuff around advice, because yeah. one of the things I wanted to uh, just drill into is we had a conversation last week about the yeah. evolution of advice, which I loved. Yeah. And you, you did one of the things you do so well and drew a diagram, which obviously our listeners can't see. But this was the evolution of really advice moving from the world of product selling to um, maybe a more holistic type of uh, advice and ultimately now moving to relationship based yeah. selling. Do you want to explain that a little bit better than I did there and, and, and your thoughts on that as a, as, as a journey the advice industry is taking? Yeah, sure. So let me give you a quote. Um, and I sent this to you earlier on today, um, but I think it's a great quote. In an age when algorithms and robo-solutions have intensified fee compression for money management, advisors who are more comfortable talking about investments than emotions may find themselves challenged in defining a clear value proposition with prospects. Bloomberg, 2017. There's another one from Bill Gates, which is also wonderful from a year earlier, pretty much saying the same thing. So what are we looking at here? So the way the way we explain it is, and the, the diagram I showed you last week, was the, 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 yeah, the evolution, the changing makeup of the value proposition, the, the advised value proposition over the last 30 years. So if you looked at the 90s, you know, the, the value proposition, there was a relationship element in there, a small service element, and largely it was product. That was certainly the case when I was working for Black Hills Financial Services. But as we moved into the noughties, um, the value really centered around the service value and the investment advisor with the maturing investment services. And this, um, that there was an expectation from clients to have portfolio reporting online, yada, yada. So there was a real shift away from product value, if you like, when we were brokers into the investment advisor um, era of the noughties and 2010s, where it's all about the service. And in that service, you don't just mean your advice, you mean streamlining the admin, giving the reporting. Exactly, get, exactly. Getting all the information, just wrapping around. And often you saw that whole host of services. I mean, I know advisors overseas that will also, you know, specialize in looking after expats, which will actually introduce people to the right clubs and the right people and, 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 and all that sort of stuff becomes very much part of it. And that's kind of where where we have been, isn't it? That, that, that well, service element. Right. And 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 that and and the spend on that service element has just gone up and up and up. So advisor tech spend in the UK is around about five hundred million pounds a year. Yeah. Now roughly half of that is on things like CRM, um, investment solutions, practice management, financial plans, or kind of the other half is around onboarding, accounts, execution services, clearing, custody platforms, all this kind of stuff. But yep. it's a lot of money being spent on tech spend that we weren't spending 30 years ago. At the same time, yep. at the same time, advisors' fee income has been going down. 
So it's gone down from you know two and a half percent in the in in the in the late nineties to to your kind of one percent area today. Now that's a, that's yep. a dramatic drop in fee income, whilst costs are going up. And the problem with those costs that tech spend is it's largely sunk costs. There's just an expectation from the client in the connected online world that they have it and you have to yep. deliver it. So we've got spend going up, we've got fee income going down, you know, so, and, and largely because a lot of the tech is commoditized. It's necessary, but it's a sunk cost and it's commoditized. So, so this creates that commoditization where the, or the digital aspects of the, the tech services aspect of the advice process is just available. I can go online and do it without speaking to an advisor. Starts delivering a question about, so what value is the advisor bringing me? So therefore, we have to move away from just service. The service will yes. remain and, and I guess move on to this concept of, of relationship. And, and that's yes. where this whole emotional, it's not just about engagement now. We're talking about how we emotionally engage with people, how we emotionally tap into how they're, they're, they're feeling so we can give them a, a whole new level of support. Is that fair? Yes, exactly right. Because it's coming back to, so we see the relationship as the greatest bastion of, of value in the advice proposition. And, and that's been kind of supplemented over the last 20 years by all the technical services. But they, as they become commoditized and just taken for granted, we need to come back to the relationship. And this is a good thing. This is a good thing because, you know, does, you know, does technology form a part of, of this conversation, the relationship. And, and yes, actually, absolutely it will. That's what we're about. But it's in an augment, it's in an augmentative way. It's about augmenting the human to human relationship and that nuance, that subtlety of communication from one human to another is absolutely critical here and, and is, is, is very difficult to replicate with AI for the foreseeable future. So, yeah, and I think I think I think where um, AI type technologies and, and 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 that in the background can help is to streamline the administration part of it to free up more time for the advisor to be able to spend on the relationship side. So there's still a role for that part of the technology, but it's about trying to streamline. And then you have a whole heap of new technologies, everything uh, everything from, I guess, sort of cash flow planning, lifestyle analysis, through to the, 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 the stuff that you're bringing to the market, which is exactly. much fresher in terms of the, the connecting to the emotion, emotional intelligence through, through those sort of tools. Yeah. Um, uh, and understanding behavioral aspects uh, all, all of that sort of the new sort of frontier of it but uh, but that doesn't dismiss the rest it's sort of work in harmony don't they? oh no so no 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 no, no. You, you you have to you know people people are used to these services now these these have to carry on so that the tech is an absolute necessity going on um going forward but the value in terms of the advice proposition needs to the the pendulum will be swinging more towards the human relationship and and the great thing about that when you do it I, oh, oh, I can't remember who it was i was talking to once who said that you know when they used to be in the 90s and they were talking about product 
they always got asked about price and it was always very price sensitive it, it was you know you were buying the cheapest product and it, it went down there yeah. servicing it got part of the discussion but it wasn't the only discussion yeah. when you get into the relationship part of the, this the yeah. price almost doesn't get mentioned because exactly. the, you're now in, you you're committed to, to to a relationship and you're not arguing about price all the time. You, you're actually yeah. working together in partnership to get somewhere. And, and, and I think that price sensitivity goes down, and therefore the fees can potentially go up, but not at the disadvantage of the client because the client's getting more value because the, the, they're getting guidance at a, a far deeper level. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely right. So so the I think I think what will will be changing here is the kind of um, the behavioral insights technology that we want to be able to provide to advisors that we will be providing to advisors very shortly. Um, first of all, allows an advisor to scale. So having that really deep understanding of that, that really knowing your client, you know, that's only possible with a very small subset of your client base at the moment. And you have to spend a lot of time with people to really understand their their, their fears or emotional um, aspects. But through augmentation, you can understand a much broader um, section picture, and that that enables a much more dynamic relationship, whereby the relationship isn't just centered on um, when an, uh, a customer wants to do an investment or take an action, um, or when you're doing an annual review, but rather when their emotions are likely to be triggered, which becomes an ongoing conversation. And that, that builds trust. Because now as a client, I'm starting to recognize my advisor gets me. And that has value. Yeah, and that's huge because it keeps the the stickiness and 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 look, I don't mean stickiness in terms of trying to blackmail someone to work with you. I want someone that wants to work you, wants is desiring to work with you. They're engaged with you to yeah. to try and uh, yeah. try and work with you. Uh, and when we have very price sensitive robo type solutions coming to market, you really need to have that extra value. Um, there, so, and almost there to a point when you're talking about these sort of emotional engagement that it's not even questioned. You know, they don't even think about those services because they're getting such uh, a deep relationship with you already. So if you knew by just clicking a button, given a drop, uh, a market drop of X and media attention of Y, which of your customers are most likely to be worried at the moment? so that you were able to proactively contact them. That has value. And that yeah. has not been possible up until now. That's simply not. So we call, I call this kind of deep KYC. Um, yeah. So know your client is, is, is more of a kind of regulatory burden and a tick box exercise. Uh, but most important, the client themselves learns nothing about themselves in KYC, the way we implement it today. They don't learn anything. And here's the thing. The stuff that, that is of most interest to us is not the stuff we knew we didn't know, but rather the stuff we didn't know we didn't know. Yeah, it's that, and that's what uh, behaviors are about. Don't know squared, as people, someone used to tell Yeah, about, yeah, so, yeah. So yeah, deep KYC becomes the value proposition. We're we want to turn a regulatory burden into a core part of the value proposition, and it, and, and it requires human to human. Yep. 
Yeah, so and then the technology to support it, but it is there only to support it and yes. to help. The technology uh, just helps. The, the technology helps to evidence the insights and to scale to a broader population of your customer base. No, interesting stuff. Uh, look, Michael, the, I mean, we, we could go on and talk about this for a long time. And I've noticed the time we're, we're, we're running close to when I promised you I'd let you go. So um, we, we will try and wrap it up now. But I, I do want to, th there's so much that you've touched on that I'm sure people will be interested in. How, how do people find out more if they wanted to find out more? Do, is there, uh, are you, are you've got a launch coming up in March, I think you said. Uh, is that a launch? Yeah, we've got a launch coming up in March for BIQ Insights. And there's a phone app. Actually, if anybody's got a, iPhone now, they can download MyBee, M-Y-B-E, um, and you'll see a consumer-facing, um, very user-friendly, gamified app that um, you can start playing with and start measuring your own behavioral biases. And I started playing with it this weekend, actually. Uh, so I was having fun spinning, spinning the wheel. Um, I've just, uh, <laughs> apparently, I'm, I'm far, um, I have a far greater propensity to risk than maybe I should do. <laughs> I think I'm a natural right, gambler. Okay. <laughs> but, uh, Did you have any fair. very strong biases? Did anything uh, you, you, I was definitely, I was um, definitely taking more, I had a higher propensity to risk than maybe I, 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 I should was what, what I think the conclusion was. Um, yeah. So yeah, I was uh, very much um, a, a gambler, uh, but that's probably very true. Okay. So there's the <laughs> app and we're, we're bringing out the complimentary, the complimentary dashboard, which surfaces all that data, all the client data to the advisors in March. Yeah, so great. go on our so, website. Well, we'll, we'll look at So the website's a great place to go. As I say, you can get the app uh, from uh, the App Store so people can download that or, or go onto your website, which is brilliant. Indeed. Okay, well, Michael, I'm going to leave it there, but thanks ever so much for your time. Um, and listeners, if you want to join us again in a fortnight for more Loose Change, uh, please do so. Thank you very much. <laughs>